Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Air It Out podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gossiker, here with you as always. You're going to wonder why I left my nickname out of it. I'll explain it in just a little bit. Episode 62 coming at you. If you're if you're not a math major, you don't like to keep count, well, that's good because we'll keep track for you. Episode 62, Joel on. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Jason Kelsey on this one, one of my favorite players in the entire NFL, despite the fact that he plays for Philly. I don't like Philly, but I like Jason Kelsey. I'm uh, going to dedicate this episode to somebody else. But i uh, got my co-host, Joel Bioka in the studio with me. Joel on. What's up, bro? Going to throw it back a little bit here. I'm going to go with Jim Langer, uh, two-time Super Bowl champion. Super Bowl, I believe it was 7-8. and eight. Yeah, yeah, it's um, a long three, time ago. You're getting Jet fans th- excited, all right? You're getting closer to their territory. Three-time first-team All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowl, 1970s All-Decade team. Started off with a bang. Yeah, absolutely. Joel on the reason I left out the goose, everybody knows me as the goose, uh, unfortunately, this past week we had the the death of Tony Saragusa, who was the original goose. Some called him the Snow Goose, others known him as the Goose. Um, very tough day and week for the Baltimore organization, uh, who lost, I believe, a defensive back, Jolan. Uh, it looks like drugs may have been involved in that. Again, guys, it does not matter. In my opinion, it does not matter. A death is a death. Um, it is still a tragedy and an organization that is grieving right now. Uh, but ter- Tony Saragusa uh, passed away. So we're, I'm going to dedicate this episode not only to Jason Kelsey and Jim Langer, but Tony Saragusa as well. It was Jalen Ferguson with the Baltimore Ravens. Jalen Ferguson, linebacker. their linebacker. Uh, again, we're keeping Baltimore in our thoughts and prayers, despite the fact that we are Giant fans. Now, Jolan, we're going to get right into episode 62. Guys, we're sorry we haven't seen you the past couple weeks. It's been pretty wild. We've been really active. Our listeners have been really, really good. Uh, about tuning in the podcast, catching up on episodes maybe that they miss, Jolan. Maybe they miss hearing us. I, I don't know too many people that say they miss hearing my voice, but clearly our fans do. Jolan, we got a special guest today uh, calling in on the phone all the way from L.A. Uh, is Matt Moran. He's the founder of Spec Ops and uh, was a special teams coordinator, has been for the last seven seasons at Stanford University out there in Palo Alto, California. A little geography lesson. We touch on everything here on the Air It Out podcast. We want to welcome Matt to the show. Matt, welcome to the Air It Out podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. And, uh, again, shout out to Tony Saragusa. Uh, never seen a guy have more fun playing football and, you know, with a bigger smile on his face. Guy, he just did it the right way. So, yeah, sad to see him pass, but love seeing the old highlights uh, on ESPN this week. And, that, and sure. that's, Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you here, and that's what we always talk about. The word, Jolan, what is the one word I say more than anything else in life? It's three letters, and Matt said it. It's fun. That's that's the goal, man. It's always to have fun in what you do. That was super rhetorical because I was never going to get that. But that's, <laughs> there we go. It's all good. We're going to jump right into Matt and, and some of Matt's background. Again, we're very happy that Matt is here. Now, Matt, I you know we you know we were kind of running through some things before the show, uh, me and Jolan, and, and I'm looking at it, and I look back at where – where did he go to college, right? Well, he went to Bowdoin. Now, Jolan, you don't know this, but I went to Wesleyan, Bowdoin, Wesleyan, same conference. Uh, one is a polar bear. The other is a cardinal. One is in Maine. The other is in Middletown, Connecticut. Uh, Matt, talk about um, talk about your youth coming up and then how you, how you got to choose a school like Bowdoin. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I actually grew up in Rhode Island. Um, I grew up 
grew up, my first word was actually ball. Uh, that, that really excited my dad quite a bit. My dad uh, grew up a Pop Warner uh, and high school football coach. Um, and so it was kind of in my blood from the very beginning. So started playing ball, first word out of my mouth. Um, was football, baseball, basketball my whole life. But uh, mom was a bit of a tiger mom. So she would make deals with me that I had to get straight A's or I couldn't go to football practice. <laughs> so uh, it was put in my head from a very young age that I was going to use sports to go to the best school that I could go to. And so coming out of high school, I'm a five foot eight, 190 pound quarterback. Uh, not exactly the ideal measurables. I, I didn't quite run like Russell Wilson or uh, Kyler Murray. So I was. I had the choice. I was going to be an Ivy League defensive back or a small college quarterback. So uh, I ended up, you know, deciding between a couple of the schools. I know I knew Bill Belichick had gone to Wesleyan. Um, you know, so I went to Wesleyan. I visited Middlebury College in Vermont. Um, something about Maine and just kind of the, the down to earthness of that place really just attracted me to a place like Bowdoin. And uh, ironically, I went there and my sophomore year, I trotted out at free safety. So uh, <laughs> I kind of ended up where I was supposed to be. Um, I'd take the, the two reps at quarterback, but I'd be the one free safety playing at a small school, returning kicks. So uh, I, I had a ball up there and uh, got a great education out of it. So it was uh it was a really great experience, and, and you know, some people say they want to go to the big school and play in front of, you know, a hundred thousand people and all that. I was just fine going to a small place and and you know making really great friendships and knowing everybody in the in the school and you know having great relationships with professors. And, and to be honest, that's really what launched me uh, into my coaching career and how I ended up at a place like Stanford. So um, that's just kind of real quick my my uh, my upbringing there. Yeah, and you gotta love it, John. We also have somebody else in the studio that has thrown two passes, two career passes as a quarterback. I did freshman year of high school oh, here we in go. training camp in the middle of July. <laughs> not the same thing. Uh, and Matt, we understand you grew up in Warwick, Rhode Island, which uh, not to be confused with people that know my radio show, which is Warwick, New York, Warwick, uh-huh. Rhode Island. Uh, and, and absolutely, that small school feel. Uh, is absolutely terrific. Joel, on what he got. So, Matt, obviously all-division first-team quarterback, 2005 in Rhode Island. Was the transition from quarterback to another position, even opposite side of the ball, was that hard to do from high school to college? You know, so I actually, uh, so I played at Bishop Hendrick in high school in Rhode Island, which is an all-boys Catholic school. Uh, they've, they've probably won, I, I, it's got to be something like 15 state championships in a row because they're the biggest, biggest school, most boys, they attract a lot of, the best athletes in the state in Rhode Island only having, you know, 50, 60 high schools. They kind of dominate everything. So, um, but Rhode Island being, you know, a bit of a smaller place, I actually, I was the starting quarterback and I was a triple option quarterback, but I also started an inside linebacker. So uh, I, I have been playing defense my whole life. And so um, I'd say the hardest thing to transition to moving from high school to college, and this is what I've heard from my guys you know even if they play at modern day down in orange county and are going to play at usc or stanford is it's just the level of intensity on each play you know like it is full out full go all the time and the reason you most guys only play one way in college is i I, I don't know how you can make it through a whole game you know so for me it was it was really hard kind of uh just physically to be able to sustain when you're kind of trotting out on both sides of the ball and playing special teams so um yeah, I'd say that's the biggest transition from, from high school to college. And then when you take the next step, which I never got to from college to the NFL, it's just the level of 
specificity and just the physical intensity on every single play. And Joe, on for us in Jersey, that's we're talking like Bergen, Bosco, those parochial schools. They never won 15 in a row. Uh, they want to, you know, I think Bosco got a national title in there somewhere. But regardless, and then, you know, Matt, you're reading along, and Jolan found an interesting quote, I, I think, that one of your favorite memories, and this is one of my favorite memories, too. It's not the same exact one, but, I mean, beating Williams. I mean, it's got to be up there with a lot of people's favorite memories. Uh, you did it uh, in the season opener in 2007 after they had been undefeated, and you were part of a defense that came up with eight turnovers in that game. Is that Did, did I read that correctly? Yeah, we had eight turnovers that game, and I think we still snuck out with like a, a one-score win. So that, just to tell you how much better that Williams team was than us, but not that day. Um, but yeah, that that was fun. You know, I went to Bowdoin. Um, they, they are kind of known as more of a hockey school, to be honest, than a than a football school. And uh, I went there after they'd had their best year, you know, kind of in school history, or at least in the last fifty years. We got a we had a really good class of guys. Um, guys that are now off doing you know really great things in the finance world or in law or politics and um we were just a bunch of scrappy dudes who who played hard and we were opportunistic and and came away with the win against a team that really should should have rolled us every year so that that was quite a lot of fun and thanks for bringing that one up that's a blast from the past (laughs) been there done that my you know my senior year williams had dominated us the entire second half if you watch that football game uh, you would have thought Williams won it 40 to nothing. We went in it overtime. And you talk about it, those memories, that's stuff you never forget. And you never will forget. And I remember Coach DeCenzo always talking about it. My head coach uh, was always a blast. Now, Matt, I, and again, I, I just I love reading backstories to people and stuff like this. When Okay, Matt played at Bowdoin, right? It was, was a great athlete, was a NESCAC academic all-conference, which I'm sure made Mom and Dad really, really happy, I'm sure. Uh, and then it says you graduated with a degree in uh, philosophy, focusing on ethics and metaphysics, and a minor in music. That's a lot to take in all into one, so I'm just going to dump that on you and let you explain it a little bit. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, again, got to give props back to mom here. Um, I, I was one of those weird guys who I liked school as much as I liked sports. Uh, now, sports were always going to be what I oriented my life around, where I found structure. Uh, you know, that was my motivation to go to a place like that. But getting into a school like that, I, I kind of just I have two options. Like, I can just coast by and just focus on football. But being a small college athlete, you're you know you're not going to play in the NFL. You know, like so. While I'm there, I might as well wring it dry, and uh, I. For some reason, philosophy and that way of thinking where you're kind of looking at things from the meta level always appealed to me more than hard sciences or math. Um, I always would rather write a paper than take a test. <laughs> and um, I don't know, I dove head first kind of in that whole thing. And um, so my first semester as a college undergraduate, I took three philosophy classes and an intro level music class. And I, ju- I just kind of threw it in there because the title of the class was passions and damnation and it was just the the title of the class i was like that sounds pretty cool and so the first homework assignment was literally going back and listening to uh to a record and so i'm like wait a second this is my homework like i go back and i'm gonna listen to a record and then write write a short blurb about and talk about music um and then next thing you know i look up four years later and you know i continued in my philosophy degree mostly in ethics um and really just like 
ethics is about coming to a problem and figuring out what's the best way to act as a human being in this, which is something that I've taken with me throughout all the different levels of coaching I've been at. Um, but the, the music side of things, like I realized I found something that I was going to eventually give up football. Uh, everybody eventually hangs up their helmet, whether you choose to or a game chooses that it's time. So I saw music as a thing that, that challenged me in a new way that I could take with me for the rest of my life. So I, I taught myself how to play guitar. Um, I was lucky enough, one of my college teammates, um, his name was Sam Hankinson. His dad, uh, rest in peace, was in the, the cabinet of the uh, Clinton administration and then the Obama administration, um, worked in the Environmental Protection Agency. And dad was the lead singer in a, uh, a harmonica player in a blues band. Awesome. So I had this roommate who was a 6'5", 340-pound offensive guard who could play the harmonica and could sing because he grew up in Florida playing music with his blues dad. And so, uh, <laughs> I don't know, that was just kind of my fun time blowing off steam was, was playing guitar with one of my buddies. And, uh, you know, it's something I've continued to do, you know, away from football and away from the grind of, of academics, you know, my whole life. So, um just a, a bit of a creative outlet. I'm, I'm one of those people who has kind of an infinite amount of energy, and I have to get it out. You know, like the do- you got to run the dogs in order for them to go to sleep at night. So that's always kind of been me. So Matt, um, spring 2010, you had graduated. Fall 2010, you go back to Bowdoin to be a coach under Dave Caputi. What's it like transitioning from player to coach under your former alma mater? Uh, it's it's tough because your buddies are still on the team. Yeah. And, you know, they, 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 they've seen you on a Saturday night or two, you know, so it's a little bit of a weird transition. You kind of got to treat it like you're still, you're still on the team, but guys, we can't go out after the game anymore together. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll see you after the season's over. So, um, a bit awkward, but also good because you know, you know, you know how everything operates. Um, I helped out with the quarterbacks and receivers. We were, we ran Chip Kelly's, uh, no huddle offense were there because I don't know if you guys remember, but Chip Kelly was at uh, UNH for all those years. Yeah. Um, so our defensive coordinator, a guy named Tom Radulski, who's been coaching in New England forever, was was Chip's roommate in college. So our head coach, uh, Coach Caputi, had full access to to visiting UNH's practices. So we we modeled our whole offense after that. And I don't know if you guys know this, but there's no playbook for that offense. It's all memorization. There's, you don't ever like receive a document to study. You go up on the board and you learn concepts and it's taught on the field. Um, so just another year to engage in that and also figure out like, man, if I'm running the show, like how, how would I do this differently? You know, or what are the things that make sense to me when you teach it to a player versus sitting on the other side of it? So yeah. what brings you out to San Diego in 2011-2012 to this uh, San Diego Jewish Academy? I know you were out there for two seasons. All right, so it's it's always a girl, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, at that at that point, I'd uh, I had I had taken kindly to a uh, to a California girl, um, and I was a little bit sick of freezing my butt off up in Maine for five years. Fair. So <laughs> we we looked at the map one day and we were like, San Diego sounds pretty cool. Google the weather. All right, it's seventy degrees in January. All right, so we packed up my car and drove across the country, and uh, I moved to San Diego with like three thousand dollars in my bank account, and. Uh, I just started going through while we're driving across the country. Uh, I'm on Craigslist, 
looking at jobs and stuff that I can find out there. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to apply for every high school football job I can find. And the only school who called me back was the San Diego Jewish Academy. And nice. I, I'm not... Go ahead, sorry. No, 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 I'm just, that's the best, I thought it was going to be some, like, type of, like, football transaction, this is a way better story, continue, my bad, man. Just trying to make it work when I'm 23 years old, and I, I knew I wanted to coach, but I, I, I wanted a new experience, so I was literally like, hey, screw it, I'll take the first job that I can find, and uh, they had an offensive coordinator job open, so, and I, I'm not of Jewish ancestry, uh, I grew up in an Irish Catholic family, so it was a completely new culture. Um, but they were transitioning from eight man to 11 man football. So they were willing to hire a guy who was 23, uh, to be the offensive coordinator. So I, I go to my interview and there's this guy, I'm like up on the board and I'm talking about the offensive philosophy. We did vote in this and that. And there's this guy sitting on the couch. He's wearing sweatpants and flip flops, uh, gray sweatpants, Nike flip flops, black shirt has like a chain kind of hanging out. His hair is all slicked back. He's got sunglasses on inside. And I'm like, I'm in a school setting. I'm like, who is this guy who's sitting there? And, and I, I can't quite figure it out, but he doesn't say anything. And I get about 45 minutes into the interview, and the guy stands up, and he's like, hey, thanks, guys, for letting me sit in. I got to run. He points at me. He's like, hey, Matt, I really think you'd be a great addition to this school. If you take the job, I'll give you a free apartment in La Jolla. And he walks Ooh. out, and I'm like, who is that guy? They're like, oh yeah, his son's on the team. He's he's uh, he's worth like half a billion dollars and is a real estate developer in San Diego. He 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 invests in the program. He wants us to be good. So I said, all right, I'll take the job. They're like, well, we haven't offered it to you yet, so keep going. <laughs> so go through the rest of the interview. They they call me the next day, and then the next thing I know, I'm living for free in La Jolla, California, five minutes from the beach. And uh, it didn't end up being quite free. It was it was like three hundred dollars a month. But uh, in San Diego, I, I don't know if you can beat that deal. So, yeah. So the the girl I was with kind of liked me because of that. Uh, I took that as a win. <laughs> yeah. Free housing. Yeah, free. I mean, even three hundred dollars. Dylan, we just had in New York City seventy five minute wait to see an apartment that was twenty three hundred dollars a month. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can't, you absolutely can't beat it. And Matt, I just got to say, while you're at Bowden, we we saw you brought in. And you mentioned the Chip Kelly offense. As a guard in that offense, I would have not liked you at all. Way too <laughs> up-tempo, way too fast, absolutely. Um, and then I, we see at San Diego Jewish Academy, you were the strength and conditioning coach as well. Um, that always piques my interest because I spent a summer at Yale uh, with their sports performance. So I always like to know your background and how you kind of got into how that role kind of fell, you know, fell into your lap. Uh, fake it till you make it, man. To be honest, <laughs> it, it was uh... – it was a way for me to get an extra $5,000. So I, I went and sat down for, I can't even remember that it was the the most basic strength and conditioning certification you get. I, I bought the book. I, I, I crushed it for a week, took the test and passed. It was, it was a way for me to, uh, to make sure I could go down to Pacific beach on Sundays and, uh, grab a breakfast burrito and a beer and watch the game. Absolutely. Fake, fake it till you make it. Now, you know, yeah. we keep moving forward now. You know, you go from San Diego back to Albright College in Pennsylvania, and this is really where you kind of got to dip your toes into uh, the special teams game. Uh, you were the uh, sp uh, assistant special teams coordinator along with the running backs coach. Uh, now talk to us that transition. You, you go from offense, coaching offense for these three years, now getting into that special teams game. And coming uh, back to the East Coast. And coming back to the East Coast, we know what that could be like, especially weather-wise. 
Uh, talk about that transition uh, and how that kind of came to be. Yeah, it was it was crazy. So I, I I'm at the Jewish Academy. It, it was you know our second year there. Um, we forfeited the last half of the season. We had a parents' revolt. They they we lost the first couple games and you know got, a couple of guys got hurt and the parents made us forfeit the rest of the season and I I went berserk. I couldn't handle that. I was I thought we were teaching the kids the wrong thing. So I said I got to go back to college. I got to go back to where the guys are as serious as me. So I fly to the to the AFCA coaching convention, um, which is held every year. They do it in a major city. Pretty much every college coach in America goes. Um, so I'm there, and I'm just like basically standing in the lobby in a suit with my with a couple of fake business cards that I've made up in my resume, and just handing it out to whoever is like I'm looking for a job. Um, and so I'm I'm like the third day there. I'm starting to get discouraged. I'm staying in a crappy Motel Six. Uh, for like 40 bucks a night it's in nashville so i'm like awesome hotel venue uh or excuse me convention venue but i'm staying like 15 minutes away taking a taxi in and out because i got no money and uh i get a call one of the people sees my resume and knows uh one of the coaches i played for is this little albright college in Reading, pennsylvania um and they called me and they said they had the, the running backs job assistant special teams video coordinator um and i was like great can i interview and they're like yeah just so you know it only pays eight thousand dollars a year so i'm like all right here we go (laughs) so i jump into the interview it goes really well the head coach name was john marska um he played at allegheny college when they won the national championship back in 1990 um actually joe philbin who went on to be the head coach of the miami dolphins and was with the packers for all those years Uh, he was a he was the offensive coordinator on that team. So it was a really great small college football roots. Um, so I take the job at Albright, uh, and and they, I accepted on like a, I want to say it was a Wednesday afternoon, and the head coach was like, all right, I know you live in San Diego, but you start on Monday. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to go back and pack up my whole life and move from San Diego in the middle of the winter. It was January at this oh, point. No. And moved to Reading, Pennsylvania, a place I'd never been sight unseen took the job and uh it came with a uh it came with a free shared apartment with one of the other coaches so i i walk in in the middle of the night guy i've never met who's now my roommate ends up becoming my boss and a guy that i'm really good friends with now named mike winslow um he was a head coach at teal college most recently um in greenville pa uh so i walk in and it's just two mattresses stacked on the floor an empty room it hasn't been vacuumed and I'm like what did I just do I just left a free apartment in La Jolla for this um, but I will say this I mean even though it was a little bit jarring that's where I received my football education I, I had to do everything there I had my own recruiting territory I had central New Jersey um, talked about a lot of the schools uh, you know the big Jersey schools there I was recruiting at a lot of those um, coached the running backs, got my first real taste of special teams. I, I thought I knew what I was doing, and man, once we get to the stuff I'll start to tell you about Sanford, I realized at this point I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but yeah, it, it was a great thing. I learned um, I learned everything about the inside and outside zone run game. Um, it was coached similarly to how uh, the University of Iowa does their run game. Uh, that those Some of the coaches there, Ken O'Keefe, um, was the offensive coordinator at Iowa. It's from that same coaching tree. Um, and then really what it was was just a test of your work ethic and how committed you were to football because you're not making much money. 
I want to say I was working probably about 100 hours a week. You're on the road, you know, six to eight weeks of the year. You know, recruiting out there, you got to bring in eight to 12 guys a season, you know, out of your recruiting territory. And, and that was really just where I learned I can do this, you know, and that, you know, there's a lot of guys who wash out in those first couple of years. And, uh, you know, I was there for two seasons. We, we had two really good years. I can't remember. We were nine, nine and two and eight and three while I was there. Um, and, and that was, you know, really my launch pad for, for coaching. Um, it, it, I would say that's where I got my master's degree in coaching. Well, and it can't you know, be, Albright. it can't be too bad, right? I mean, you come down to recruit Jersey, you get a, you get a nice slice of pizza, you enjoy a nice diner <laughs> down here. Uh, you can't complain at all. And, uh, yeah, we see, uh, Albright went to a postseason bowl game each year. You were there, blocked nine kicks in 2014, and even had Malik Gilmore was named an All-American special teams performer uh, as he blocked four kicks that year. I mean, that, that that's just a special time, right? I mean, you guys get into get into a groove like that. And that and obviously, Joel, it's, it's sexy to talk about offense, defense, right? We love talking about Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Von Miller and all these guys. Special teams matters. It always has mattered. And and Matt, we're here with Matt Moran, the founder of Spec Ops. Uh, we're getting to Spec Ops. We're running kind of through his background. Matt, that special teams component to every game is so crucial. And it, and it can make or break a team's year, let alone a game. It can make or break a year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the biggest thing I learned, yeah, so I go from, uh, I go from Albright, I, I make a quick stop at Rutgers, um, and then I get the opportunity to come to Stanford to, to come be the special teams assistant um, and, and kind of really learn that I, it was the biggest thing, like, you don't know what you don't know until you're actually in front of a true expert on the topic. Um, and I got hired by Pete Alomar um, at Stanford, and he's Right now, I think he's been 35 years in the Pac-12, um, most of that as a special teams coach. And what I really learned is it's it's a lot like the offensive line play. You know, good special teams play, you know, really doesn't get noticed unless you, excuse me, special teams play really doesn't get noticed until you make an, a big mistake. You know, obviously you can have a great returner, um, but just the value of the specialists and the impact that they can have on each football game, like you you don't know how crucial a snapper is to your team until you don't have one, until a ball goes over somebody's head or somebody bounces one back. I can't tell you how many college football games I've been a part of where a bad snap or a punter dropping a ball or a bad hold. I mean, the most famous one I can remember in the last 10 years is Tony Romo on that extra point in the playoffs. I mean, that was – it's just – Eliminating errors is the key to victory, and I think that always that holds true, but it, it's not really more true than on special teams. Jolan, he gave a shout-out to the offensive line. Not, yeah, so that's awesome. Right, right up the ranks of my favorite guests that we've had here. Um, <laughs> and, and my roommate, actually, in college was a kicker. Um, so I definitely understand, you know, at least at least some of the inner, inner workings of that. And uh, you mentioned the snapper. I believe it was my junior year of college. Our long snapper broke his hand. He's out there snapping with a cast on. Then it starts pouring rain. Life ain't so simple. Now, Jolan, I, I mean, I mean, the success. You, we've got some of the numbers here. The success that Stanford has had in special teams. In case you just think it's just some Division One school, uh, that that mascot is the Cardinal. So yeah, 2017 to 2021, Stanford ranked number one in the nation of overall special teams performance. 
Um, you were number one in field position from 2015 to 2018, 2015 Rose Bowl champion, and Pac-12 champion, and you went to four bowl games at Stanford. What was the difference between some small school, some small college in Albright compared now you're back in California, the big bright lights are on, it's Pac-12 football time? Yeah, I would just say, uh, I mean, I, I got to first of all give credit to, to David Shaw, um, especially when it comes to special teams. He made it a priority within the program. And now, if, if anybody knows anything about Coach Shaw's background, he's an offensive guy. He coached in the NFL for 10 years before he, before he coached in college. Um, he was a quarterback's coach of the, the famous uh, the Patriots-Raiders-Tuck rule game. Um, coach Shaw was standing on the other sideline with John Gruden as the quarterback's coach. Um, so, really, I, I think he set us up for success in that, that phase of the game um, by allocating time in a priority. You know, there's a lot of coaches who think of special teams as just like a box that needs to be checked and that you'll be good when you have a good returner. You know, you'll be good when you have Christian McCaffrey back there. But to be honest, like, it's as much about not making mistakes and not allowing big plays to happen in that phase of the game as it is making them happen yourself. And so, um, you know, it was part of our, our winning formula there. We were going to run the ball. Uh, we were going to eat up the clock and essentially shorten the game, make the game have fewer plays so that each play matters a little bit more. Um, that's the difference between a lot of these run-heavy uh, offensive schemes and the pass-happy schemes like, you know, Mike Leach at Mississippi State, formerly at Washington State. The more plays you run, essentially the less, less each play matters because you get more trials that happen throughout the game. So if you're only running 50 plays a game and you're a run-heavy, you know, ball possession offense, each play matters a little bit more, which also each play for special teams matters a little bit more. So if you have an advantage in the field position aspect and you're not letting up big plays on defense, um, this game quarter, which I think relates directly from coming from an NFL background like Coach Shaw has, Really, that was our when Stanford when we were really rolling, and really from 2015, and that was when I got there. They were rolling before that. Really, I would say 20, 2012 to you know 2019, 2018. That was the formula. It was we were going to play, we're going to run the ball, we're going to play great defense, we we're going to win the kicking game, and we we're going to grind it out and come ahead with a one or two-score victory in the fourth quarter. No doubt. And I guess, Jolan, if we ever meet David Shaw, we don't have to ask him his opinion uh, on the tuck rule. And uh, <laughs> obviously we don't need to ask his thoughts on that one. But, uh, yeah, and again, like I want people to understand at home, when you hear that stat about the number one in starting field position, yeah, it's kick returns. Yeah, it's punt returns. But it's also how do you make where do you where does the other team start? How many inside the twenties does your punter have? How many inside the tens do your punter uh, does your punter have uh, in a season? How well can you cover kicks? That's another one that's super super important. Matt, I, you run through the list here, and you've assisted in recruiting and developing eighteen Division One specialists. On uh, you know who in your eyes has been either your favorite or best player at Stanford on the special team side of the ball? So, without a doubt, the best player that I've had is Jake Bailey. Uh, he's right now the starting punter for the New England Patriots. Um, his second year in the league, he was first-team All-Pro, which, as you know, isn't voted by the fans. That's voted by the coaches and the players. 
Um, so that's a really nice feather in the in the cap for for Stanford, uh, for Coach Alomar, for for myself. Um, you know, and you actually just talked about punters putting the ball inside the ten yard line. If you'll if you'll allow me to get a little bit nerdy here, absolutely. Um, there's there's something you know that there's studies out there about the marginal utility of each yard. So basically, the way to think about it is the yards that are closer to the end zone than the yards between the 20s. So because the yards, as you get closer to your opponent's goal line, it's harder to get a yard the closer you are. Because everybody's seen the, the fourth and goal from the one stands that have yep. or people fades in the end zone because they can't run the ball inside. So the difference between starting at the four-yard line and starting at the 10-yard line is monumental in terms of the expected chances of the opposing team scoring on the next drive. So Jake Bailey was and continues to be one of the best, uh, what we call sting punter. Other people might call it pooch or coffin corner. Um, his level of control in terms of putting the ball inside the, really inside the six. I mean, I can't tell you how many times at Stanford he put the ball at the two, at the one, at the three. Um, and then you look at the opposing, the, the next drive that happens after that and where we're starting, and it's, you know, it's a punt return from the minus 45. It's having the ball at midfield. And what happens after that is really the ball, the field's tilted in your favor. So it's, you know, we would punt sometimes from the plus 37-yard line, which some people say, well, why not just go for it or attempt a long field goal? What was part of the philosophy was that we had a great punter, and he was going to put you inside the five, and we had great gunners who were going to keep the ball out of the end zone because it's something we practice all the time, put a lot of emphasis on. And it was because of the math side of it. We knew that, you know, we trusted our guy to go out there and execute it. Um, you know, and he continues to do that for the Patriots. You know, Jake had a little bit of a, a dip last season because I think the Patriots had four punts blocked. So I think that hurt his numbers a little bit. But he's an absolutely fantastic punter. He's a great kid in a... He's actually helping me out a little bit with the with the face for my new company that I started after I left Stanford. So, um, Jake Jake is definitely the most talented guy I've been around. But I, I will say the current kicker at Stanford, a guy named Joshua Cardi, who's going into his junior year. Uh, you guys should definitely keep an eye on. I, I believe he will be the first kicker off the uh, drafted in, when Josh decides to come out. Um, incredibly talented guy. Uh, he's from North Carolina. At a fifteen seventy on the SAT, uh, so he's super bright. Um, really, really great guy to be around. Technically sound. Coach Alomar's done a great job coaching him um, since since he's had him there. And uh, so I'd say keep keep your guys out, eyes out for that. If the Giants need a kicker in a few years, Joshua Cardi from Stanford. Absolutely, Graham Gano getting up there in age a little bit. You never know how long he's got left. We're never going to score a touchdown in the near future, you know. <laughs> so you got to kick a couple times. Absolutely. Well, listen, we talk about, Jolan, we talk about marriages a lot, right? Quarterbacks are married to their coaches. Coaches are married to the GM. A punter, and Matt can attest to this, I'm sure love gunners, love good gunners as well. And long snappers. Jake Bailey in the NFL with the Patriots has a pretty damn good one. You may have heard his name before. Matthew Slater might go to the Hall of Fame as a gunner. That's pretty wild. Did you have a favorite and best gunner at Stanford? Yeah, um, I, I know this is going to sound like a little bit of a Homer kind of comment and me like I'm name dropping, but people don't know this. 
Christian McCaffrey led Stanford in special teams tackles as a true freshman. There's three and he silly. started and he started at Gunner and on the kickoff team. I believe it was eleven tackles in the season and some of the most highlight plays I have ever seen. Like I, I I fully believe this. Christian McCaffrey could start at corner in the NFL. Without a doubt, I say that. He could play nickel, could move inside and cover a slot receiver. He was a heck of a defensive player. I, I think he led the state of Colorado in interceptions uh, his senior year at Valor Christian. So um, I have some really great clips that I show of Christian wearing number 27 as a true freshman before he switched to number five. Uh, run it down and make it plays and, and it was it, it's really great stuff just to show that like the best players are football players they're not just running backs receivers they're, they guys can just play ball and that, that's a guy who no matter where you put him on the field he can play ball yeah no doubt and now you mentioned uh, your new company and let, let's talk about it that's how we introed the show uh, talking about Matt Moran from Spec Ops talk to us about Spec Ops what Spec Ops is and and what your what your goal is with it? I got another question. How much thought did you put into the name? Because you know it's catchy. I know it's catchy. It sounds really cool. It sounds um, like the Navy SEALs. Yeah, it, it sounds, sounds like awesome. an ops mission. Absolutely. Yeah, I did put a lot of thought into it. And I got a lot of help from my uh, my former specialist room at Stanford and, and Coach Alomar. Um, we we actually uh, there we would always break our our uh, huddle at the end of practice with specialists on on snipers. We call ourselves the snipers because it's it's one shot, one kill kind of thing, you know, reference to that old uh, old Robert De Niro movie, Deer Hunter. Um, yeah, you go out on the field, you only get one shot at fourth down. That's actually the, the, the logo of my, or excuse me, the uh, tagline for, for my company. Only get one shot at fourth down, and you got to make that, that shot count. Um, so, yeah, definitely put a lot into it, and I, it's the mentality that I, I think specialists should have. Um, you know, when you're called upon, you have to be able to go out on the field and execute. And it, it, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, what the wind is, what the weather is. The ball's got to go through the pipes. The ball can't get blocked. we got to make tackles as snappers. Um, so, yeah, so basically the idea behind it is I looked out at all of, you know, college football, um, high school football, you know, what's going on in the special teams world, and I saw an opportunity. Um, there, there's not a lot of people out there who are coaching kickers, punters, and snappers privately. There, there's these showcase camps that exist, but they're really not about skill instruction. They're more about uh, promoting kids and providing exposure and, you know, ranking guys for the, you know, it's like the 247 stuff and the rivals. Yep. It's more oriented towards that. Um, you know, I had the unique opportunity to spend seven years on the sideline at Stanford only coaching special teams. I didn't coach offense or defense like previous parts of my career. When I wasn't coaching kick return or the punt return team or the gunners, I was with the kickers, punters, and snappers full-time. Um, that's unique in college football. There's only about five teams in the whole country that have a special team staff that's like the NFL where they only worry about the special teams. So I realized that because I was studying under an expert, because I got a chance to develop and coach this, that if I were to make a move and do this privately, I could have a little bit more control, first of all, over my own life and my own career. Um, as you guys know, college football and the NFL, you don't decide. Really, it's the wins and losses that decide, yep. you know, whether you keep your job or not. So I wanted a little bit more stability in my life, and I realized I think I can go out there um, and I have the track record and the stats to back it up to say, like, hey, guys, I know how to develop a high school or college kicker, punter, and snapper, let me help you. 
Um, and so what I'm doing here with Spec Ops is I'm, I'm working with high school kicker, punters, and snappers who are serious, who want to play at the Division One level, um, and I'm trying to give them and train them the exact same way we did with our guys at Stanford who, you know, some of those guys are standing on NFL sidelines. Um, but I think that there's a lot of uh, misinformation and, and kicker, punting, and snapping, let's be honest, is not the sexiest thing. So there's a lot of coaches out there who look at the look at special teams and kind of like that's not real football. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm an offensive or a defensive guy. Um, coming from the small college level and making my way to a you know a, a Division One school, I didn't really have that sense of ego that I think a lot of coaches have. I saw an opportunity and said, you know what? There's a market for this. I think I can do it. And I went to the head coach. I went to Coach Shaw and I said, Coach, I, I'm I I hate to leave you, but I think I can go pull this off. And uh, him being the, the stand-up guy that he is and the, the great human he is, he, he said, I'd hate to lose you. And he pats me on the back and says, how big of a check do you want me to write to help you get started? <laughs> yeah, um, that tells so you I everything said, you need to I don't know. want to get you in trouble with conflict of interest or anything. <laughs> I really appreciate that. But just having his support in this has been you know, kind of the thing that keeps me buoyed. You know, starting a business isn't the easiest thing, especially when you've never run one before. So, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I want to I wanna help get kids and, uh, onto the field to be successful on Saturdays um, and hopefully move on to the next level. And, you know, my first client that I took on is a kid named Jordan Kennedy. He was at De La Salle High School, which is similar to a Bosco in Jersey. Um, he's here in the Bay Area, and uh, I worked with him for two months. And uh, he's now kicking at Mississippi State going into his freshman year. So, I mean, I think I'm on to something. <laughs> now, De La Salle, De La Salle is the high school in uh, in the movie When the Game Stands Tall. It has a ridiculous win streak, isn't it? Yeah, how'd you yeah. remember that? That, that, that's, that's uh, that sticks in my head all the time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That That is that is a that is a route to go on. Joe, you got something for me? Yeah, so um, uh, Spec Ops Clinic, if you will. San Diego, July 9th is your next one at Santa Fe Christian High School. Oh, you're going back home. I just wanted to give you that shout-out, just <laughs> go what's going on. I also wanted to get your take, though, on what's going on in the college football world with the NILs, the name, image, likeness. Do you agree with, with what's going on, and do you think they should have got paid earlier if you do? Okay, so here's my thing about the, the NIL is, well, first of all, about college players being paid, I mean, I, I, here's my problem with that is, first of all, yes, I, I do think like things like jersey sales and, you know, these guys being able to go out to a local car dealership and seeking out um, things for themselves, ways to get some money and profiting off the fact that they do have a stage. I, I think in theory, um, when you look at it in a vacuum, that's a really great idea and, and they should be allowed to do that. But whole just like players getting paid, you basically become an employee. And if you are an employee and you're, you're being paid by a school to play and to play a game and you don't perform well, I mean, I see the role of any employer in a company is if your employees aren't performing well, they can dock your pay, they can give you a pay cut, or they can fire you. And I, I've never thought that's a road that we should go down because these are 18 to 22-year-olds and it isn't like basketball. These guys aren't ready to play in the NFL when they're 18. They need four years in the weight room. They Football is such an incredibly complicated and nuanced game that they need the master coaching of these guys. Now, I'll say some coaches are better than others, uh, but they need to spend time learning the game before they go play in 
the league that is the freakiest of freaks full of guys who just, you know, with blood, sweat, and tears, eat, sleep, dream football. I mean, I, I see the college football process about development, and I think, you know, what's going on in the NIL that's wrong is the schools are, instead of letting the players seek out their own deals, the schools are actually spearheading it and setting it up ahead of time, which I think to me is just like a way of, it's just become another recruiting tool. And I don't think that's what, what we initially meant about the NIL. We were so, the essence of it was allowing these guys who, you know, let's just say Stanford selling a million Christian McCaffrey jerseys and allowing Christian to have a cut of that. To me, that seemed like what that was initially supposed to be about. Not about like what you're seeing at these other schools, and I won't name anything specifically, but like who are going out and saying like the entire offensive line gets a fifty thousand dollar deal from from Joe Bag of Donuts coffee shop because they sign with our school. Like that seems to me like a, a way of legally paying people to come play for you. Right. You know, so I would say that's that's my issue with it. I don't I don't think that's what we initially wanted this thing all to be. And, Joanne, if you remember back when we were talking about this, you know, months ago, years ago, that's kind of what I was going down. You look at a guy like A.J. Green who was suspended for selling his jersey. You know, we're talking about some of the common sense things they should be able to go. Listen, Christian McCaffrey runs for, he gets 15 carries, 225 yards, and four touchdowns. He should be able to go to Dave's local barbecue and get a free meal. Free rack of ribs or something. Right. Like, we're talking about common sense things. And, Matt, I, I'm with you on that. I think that's what that was initially intended for. But I think the NCAA got to a point where they just said, you know what? Screw this. Rip the Band-Aid off completely. And now it's just free game. Now they're reeling a little bit. We're seeing it. We just had the commitment this week of Arch Manning uh, to Texas. Horns down. Uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. But they said his NIL worth is $10 million before he steps on campus. The last name thing. And it is. And he's obviously the upper echelon of that. But that's, Matt, that's kind of what you're talking about. You're seeing these, this is, it is really getting to a point where now people are asking, do we need regulation? It's too late for that, you know? It, or it seems that way, at least. For, you know, it looks like we've opened the free market and, and kids are going out and doing what they do. Yeah, and that's the thing is, it's it's trickling down into high school football, which I think is is really sad. Um, I can't remember. I think it was a, a team from Texas, uh, and a, a, um, a, a non power five team, group of five team. I, I want to say last year or two years ago, didn't sign a single high school kid. They signed all their guys from the transfer portal. Is that SM, and SMU? It. Yeah, and yeah. And, it, and then it, the whole combination of the transfer portal and the NIL happening at the same time, um, it, it really, to me, has ripped the soul out of college football um, because it's not really about, you know, going somewhere and developing anymore. It's about, like, how can I get as much money into my pocket as quickly as possible before my window runs out? And, hey, I mean, like, I wasn't one of those guys, so maybe, maybe it would be different if I had a different experience and... You know, I had the opportunity to do that. You know, my family wasn't, we were we were fine, but, like, we weren't a well-off family. We were getting by. But um, I'm not, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that this is a road that we really want to go down. But as you said, you know, you know, I don't know if we can put the, put, put the water back in the bucket, so to say. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the transfer portal, right? Because I, I think the biggest thing, and, and I'm sure, Matt, it happened when you were getting recruited. It happened when I got recruited. 
I got recruited by a coach. I made a connection with the coach and committed to a university and a coaching staff. And now kids are committing to money. And if that money dissipates, like Matt, you were talking about kind of like feeling like it's an employment. If that money dissipates and disappears, now you got kids running. You know, you've got kids going everywhere now and, and no waivers, no nothing. It, it is just, it is, I, you know, it's not the wild, wild west, but it is, this is, this is pretty wide open. You know, this is a, this is a gash that the NCAA is trying, you know, it, it does not have the stitches for. Now, Matt, let's talk about something a little bit more happier. All right. What, talk to us about what teams you root for. Uh, you know, you're sitting down to watch the NFL on the weekends, maybe, you know, some baseball, some basketball. Who are you rooting for? All right, you guys are going to hate me for this, but I grew up 30 minutes from Foxborough Stadium. So <laughs> okay. I grew up a, I'm a lifelong uh, Patriots fan. Um, Thank I you grew for up, too. my favorite player ever was Troy Brown. Okay. Uh, I loved that he played offense, flipped over to corner, and led the Patriots in. Uh, in interceptions one year, returning punts. Um, that was my favorite player of all time. And uh, I actually, actually, funny enough, I was just in Bend, Oregon uh, for some vacation a few weeks ago, and I went to Drew Bledsoe's winery. Uh, it has a tasting room out there. So uh, got a chance to try some of, uh, give a little shout out here to the Bledsoe family winery. It was fantastic. But uh I grew up a huge Drew Bledsoe fan as well and hated Tom Brady originally. <laughs> so the Giants fans might uh, might be able to relate to me a little bit there. Um, obviously flipped my script a little bit as I, I got a little bit older. Um, he, he ended up being all right. But, uh, yeah, so please don't hate me there. Um, but I will say this. Um, I really enjoy watching golf. Uh, it's, it's probably my second favorite sport. Um, it relates a lot to the specialists. I find myself when I'm coaching a lot of times – making a lot of analogies between that, uh, between kicking, punting, snapping, and golf because the approach is similar. So um, I got a chance to, you know, be t- around Tiger Woods a little bit and being a Stanford guy, and he's close with Coach Shaw. And just the mentality of, of golf and having to execute with thousands of people literally breathing down your neck and hit some of these unbelievable shots. Like, I, golfers just impressed me so much with their, their combination of um, – of concentration and how they handle pressure. Uh, so, you know, I, I really find myself, you know, watching other sports. You know, I don't watch a ton of football when I'm away from it because it's my job. I, I need a break from it. Um, the other thing I, I really love watching is surfing. Um, being in California, I've, I've started to watch a lot of people who surf and just like the, the absolute fluidity and athleticism that goes into things like that and that, it's very dangerous, you know. Uh, I've watched recently another dangerous thing. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the the rock climbing documentary Free Solo about yes. the guy who climbs El Capitan without a rope. I have. I mean, like stuff like that just fascinates me. Yeah, well, listen, we don't hate you because it could have been worse. You could have said you rooted for <laughs> Washington, Philly, or Dallas, and at that point, we probably would have hung up the phone. But we we love the Patriots. We love Belichick. Obviously, he's a Wesleyan alum for me. He's been a part of all four Giants Super Bowls in one way or another. So we we can't hate him that much. Oh yeah, and um, so I just want to ask you. This might be beating around the bush a little bit, but do you know anything about that college admission scandal that happened around Stanford, UCLA, with Felicity Hoffman? Did anyone ever approach you saying, "Hey, let my kid in for school, let her play football here"? Or what 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 went down with that exactly? 
um, I do know a bit about it. Uh, I will share. I will share what I can. Um, I do know this is that the is that the two kids parents who contributed money to that actually both neither of them actually got into school. <laughs> <laughs> Pay to play couldn't even. I, know, play. I think the money was taken and then the, it, they didn't get in. <laughs> so, Unbelievable. Um, but uh, that's, I thought that was one of the. No, I just had to ask. I had watched it recently. About. And, that, and that's fantastic. Matt, you were talking about golf, and you mentioned Tiger Woods. I completely forgot that connection um, about how he – how he um, uh, with David Shaw as well. I did remember he went to Stanford. He's actually – he's the reason I play golf as much as I do, as awful as I am. Um, you know, I always – I'm always lining up my 7-iron from 160 out saying, what would Tiger – how would Tiger hit this here? Try to do it. End up in the bunker. All the same thing, but yeah, golf, golf's a lot of fun to watch. It's a lot of fun to play. Um, Matt, do you play out there? And I'm sure there's thousands of beautiful courses. Yeah, you know that was actually my favorite thing about living in San Diego. Is a lot of people don't know this, but Torrey Pines uh, in in La Jolla right there is actually a public course. Um, it's owned by the city of San Diego, and if you are a San Diego resident, you can sign up for uh, you know pay a, a fee for the year to be, to get the resident card. And so I used to go play Twilight there, and I'd maybe usually only get 13 holes in before it would get dark. But it would be back then the North Course would be like 25 bucks, so I get a chance to play, you know, a solid 12, 13 holes, walk the course, um, be right there on the ocean. It would be great because I, you know, we practiced a little earlier uh, when I was coaching, so I'd finish it. You know, we practiced from like two to four, and I'd run over and get in in my quick rounds and then uh and you know watch the sunset on the beach and yeah it's to me it's like a perfect combination of relaxation concentration you know get out your competitive juices but i mean as long as you as long as you look around every once in a while and realize you're in a beautiful place like you know don't get too frustrated it, it it's, you know, that's why they call it a stroke but uh yeah love the game um it to me is the hardest thing I've ever done, which is probably why I keep going back to it. So yeah. Um, you know, I don't think you ever actually get good at golf, but you just get less bad. Right. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. Every time you go out on the course and, and you're sitting there and, you know, I just played with somebody, uh, actually the radio station I work with is partnering, is a sponsor with, uh, this golf course. And they're like, Hey, you want to go play? Do I want to go play around? Of course I want to go play around. Um, and you know, you just meet everybody and you're talking through different things and, you know, the mental approach and everything you mentioned. And, uh, you know, Matt, as we get towards the end of the episode here, I just want, you know, I want your opinion on, you know, youth. if you've got a message to youth athletes right now, whether that be special teamers, kickers, punters, snappers, gunners, offensive, the offensive guys, and then obviously the sexiest group on planet Earth, the offensive line, um, you know, if you've got a message to young athletes, because you played three sports as well, let's not forget that. It, it, when you were young, you played multiple sports as a kid. Talk about the importance of playing multiple sports and just any broad message you have for kids that are looking, you know, to really take that next step in their career and, and, and develop into, you know, what they want to be, Division One football players one day. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, the first thing is I would definitely say play multiple sports and don't specialize. The burnout rates of guys who just move into one sport, um, it's so high. And it's really funny. Like, I, I can tell, like, even even with a guy, a running, let's just say a guy who's a running back, 
you know, you can tell by the way he tracks the ball when you throw a swing route to him or he runs a fade, whether or not the guy played baseball. Because that's just a right. natural skill that you learn when you play in the outfield, you know, is the way to track a ball. What what angle to set your body at so that you intercept the ball at the proper spot. When to jump, you know, if you have to jump to high point the ball as a receiver, you can really tell who played other sports. Um you know, and that's the thing. Even let's look at a guy like Jake Bailey, who's the punter for the Patriots. He was the center fielder for his high school baseball team. He also played wide receiver, basketball player, ran track. You know, like, I think the best athletes are multi-sport athletes because there's different skills that you can learn that are going to transition over into maybe a small part of the game. But if you didn't play baseball or you didn't, you know, you can't handle the ball or, or you know, steal the ball from a point guard or, you know, that's, that's knocking a ball out on defense. So right. I'd say the biggest thing, yeah, don't specialize because you're not, you, you don't want to get burnt out. And then also, you know, cross-train your skills. You know, it's uh, there's so many good games out there. Lacrosse is another great game for football players, you know, um, especially, you know, guys on defense and, you know, running backs who also, you know, are attack. You know, I had brought, both my younger brothers were lacrosse players. And, uh, I mean, I wish I'd played that. I've been a baseball player my whole life. I would have loved to play lacrosse. Um, and I would say the second thing is, and this is the forgotten piece, I think, is that everybody wants to work out, work out, and, you know, take protein powder in this. I mean, just eat all day long. Eat as much protein as you can consistently throughout the day. Like, nutrition is so important. And um, that's the difference between guys being, you know, a 200-pound guy when they graduate or, or 175. And, and the second thing I would say is, like, get off your phone as much as possible. Like the amount of screen time that we spend, I mean, it, it promotes anxiety and depression. Um, it, it messes with your sleep and sleep is the most important supplement. And guess what? It's free. Um, <laughs> you know, so I would say guys like, you know, nutrition and sleep, you know, they're going to take you a long way. You're going to just be a happier, healthier human. Um, you know, don't eat crappy food. Stop going to, fast food and donuts and things like that like basic rule i learned is pick plucked or killed if it wasn't picked if it wasn't plucked or it wasn't killed it shouldn't go in your body so eat good food you know be around your friends and family go to bed get off your phone you're gonna be a better athlete so so i'm guessing you're not a believer in the saying you'll sleep when you're dead <laughs> not as an athlete <laughs> I, no i i hated that saying growing up he used to hear it all the time and uh, I just found it absolutely ridiculous. How's your body supposed to recover otherwise? Right? Yep. yep. So, Sleep, recovery, hydration. Absolutely. And that and that's a perfect note, Jolan. We're going to wrap up the episode here. Uh, first of all, Matt, I want to thank you for coming on, on the podcast today. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And I want to give you a chance to uh, spec ops, give out the website, uh, where people can reach you, Twitter, you know, wherever, wherever people can find you. Uh, let the people know. All right, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, uh, specopsst.com. That's my website. Uh, Specops Special Teams Training and Clinics is the official name of the company. Uh, As we said before, July 9, I'll be in San Diego. July 16, I'll be in Orange County with two clinics um, I'm doing for high school and college, punters, kickers, and snappers. Um, You can find me at MattMoran8 on Twitter. you know, uh, feel free to reach out. My DMs are open. I try to engage with everybody. Um, just really like talking football and life. So, uh, and especially, 
you know, you guys gave me a great opportunity here. So, uh, Ryan and Jolan, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of how Matt and I started talking was uh, Matt started following me on Twitter. I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, but, you know, let's do some digging. And, you know, again, absolutely great guest to have here on the pod. I did so much research. It's like I've known you since grade school, man. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it, guys. If I'm ever back east, it's, I go home to Rhode Island, we'll have to wake up. Absolutely. You give us a call, we'll find the nearest golf course and waste about 20 golf balls in a round. <laughs> All <laughs> right, good. man. Six pack on me. <laughs> Absolutely. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. All right. Have a good one, Matt. Bring some blood cell one. All right. Goodbye. What an absolutely great interview. We just said so goodbye on. like eight times. Um, that, yeah, I mean, listen, it, you know, but you can even hear it. We just didn't want to get off the phone with this guy. He's a good guy. He's an absolutely terrific guy. Great follow. And again, he just he just started following me, Joel, on, and you just got to love this guy. And, and we'll talk sports with him. I talk sports with that guy any day, anytime, anywhere. And if David Shaw is ever looking for an assistant coach, you can come find him in Pompton Lakes, New Jersey. Uh, the Goose on the Air It Out podcast. Joe, on, we've reached the end of episode 62. Um, listen, we didn't get to touch on, on some things that I definitely want to touch on next week, Joe. On. Celtics we, lost the finals. We'll get into Celtics that. Celtics lost the finals. We need to talk about the Mets injuries. We have to talk about Washington, D.C. Congressional Committee hearing with Roger Goodell speaking some going instead off of Watson Daniel Snyder. The Deshaun Watson case has taken a little bit of a turn. Um, we're going to deep dive into that in episode 63. Uh, again, our thoughts and prayers go out to the Baltimore Ravens, uh, Jalen Ferguson family, and uh, Tony Saragusa's family. And, and again, he was the original The Goose. He was the guy. And uh, we, we will obviously solely miss him. Joel, I miss him on Fox when he used to, when he was the side. He was the analyst in the Big in the, jacket, in the sunglasses, cigar. Massive jacket. Oh, yeah, Love that guy. Was larger than life. Literally and figuratively. Well, guys, you can you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Goose on the Mic. It's great to be back back on the mic. Uh, you can check out my show Game Time with the Goose, and uh, that'll be every Saturday from eight to nine a.m. And uh, you can find it on WTBQ.com, uh, WTBQ Warwick, WGHD Pompton Lakes. You can always find it. Listen to it Saturdays eight to nine a.m. Game Time with the Goose. Joan, where might the people be able to find you? And or the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Good Old Joel's or our Twitter at Podcast Air It Out or Instagram at Air It Out dot Podcast. And um, if you want to follow uh, Spec Ops on Twitter, I'm, I believe it's at Spec Ops ST. And if you want to follow Matt again, I think he said his Twitter name wrong. At, it's it's at Matt underscore Moran underscore. He said something about an eight in there. That's not the case. I had to correct him on that. <laughs> so if you want to follow us again, Matt, thank you for all of this. This was awesome. Well, and the beauty, Jolan, is, is the beauty of the flow of this, right, is we get to drop news whenever we want. Oh, and no. When there, there is some news, Jolan. We are going to be adding an additional person to the Air It Out family. And that, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. And that's going to be none other than our good friend, Mr. Zach Kruk. Zach Kruk, you're going to hear Kruk's voice a little bit more on this podcast, maybe as a guest, maybe as our MC narrator. You never know, but Zach is going to be welcomed 
Into the Air It Out podcast family. Joe on some big news dropping right here at the end of the episode. Love Crucky. Can't wait for him to be on. Golden Voice joins the boys. Golden Voice joins the boys. Uh, love you, Crucky. And uh, we'll obviously, you, you can catch him anytime talking sports. But uh, Joe on, until next week, until episode 63, and until another Mets starter gets hurt. Put in the books. Put in the books.